Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you've decided to worship with us this morning. As the Hub City Church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like to hear more about our vision, get plugged into serving, or learn how you can get connected through community groups and men's and women's ministries, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word Hub City to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. If you've been considering making the Hub City Church your church home, please join us directly after service today for a membership class that will cover our vision, mission, values, and structure, as well as your next steps for making it official. We are so thankful for all of the volunteers that serve our church body. We want to show our appreciation for you with a gift that you can pick up today from your team leader. The Lord has been so faithful in continuing to grow our church body. To help accommodate those looking for seating, it would be super helpful to keep end seats open so our ushers are able to easily find seats for those coming into the service. As always, kids are welcome in service and we have coloring sheets available in the back for them. We also have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. Good morning again, guys. Glad you could be here to worship Jesus with us today. My name is Tad Anderson. I'm the uh, lead teaching pastor here at the Hub City Church, and man, we're grateful that you're here. Just a few announcements before we uh, get into God's Word. The first thing is, is that uh, today is Volunteer Appreciation Sunday, and so, man, uh, yeah, thank you, guys. I mean, I feel like so many in this room are, are volunteers and serve in uh, a myriad of ways, and so, man, we just love and, and so appreciate you, um, and we appreciate you and love you uh, way more than an insulated coffee mug's worth, um, but we had to choose something uh, to give expression to our love, and that was part of it, uh, as well as Good Things Donuts. So if you didn't get Good Things Donuts on the way in, uh, please grab a donut. Uh, those are for you, and uh, even if you're not a volunteer, grab a donut, because there's a lot out there, and we need to eat them all. So anyway, but in all seriousness, man, thank you guys so much. Um, whatever team or capacity you serve in, uh, truly, our church would not be the same without you. Um, it would not be what it is without you. Uh, and so we're so grateful for you. We're grateful that you're here. Uh, I'm so humbled um, to be one of your pastors. So thank you for that uh, privilege to be able to serve alongside you and do ministry alongside you. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, t-shirts are in. So woo! Uh, you can pick those up in the lobby uh, after service. If you've not gotten those already, I think we're doing a a changeover from donuts to t-shirts. So it was donuts. When you walk out, there'll be maybe t-shirts there uh, in bags. So if you ordered those, uh, they're here. They're ready for you. They probably have your, your name on them. You know, I think we did that. So, uh, so that's there for you. And then the last thing is that we do have a membership class today. So uh, if you're considering making the Hub City Church 
your church home, so to speak, uh, please join us. Um, it's the first step in that process, and uh, we'll have a time where uh, we'll go through our, our vision, mission, values, measures, all these things um, that are important to us as a church family, and, uh, and we'll have a time for Q&A at the end as well. If you have questions, we'll uh, be glad to answer those for you. Uh, even if you're like not sure you want to make this your church home, but you're like, hey, I'd kind of like to know more about this church, come on, hang with us, and uh, you can hear all those things articulated. Okay, so, all right, that's all I have this morning So for announcements. Um, we are settling back now into our most regular uh, or ordinary style of teaching today, which is expositional or expository teaching. Our series that we were just in, therefore, uh, on our missional measures was a topical series where we drew from all over the Bible to uh, put together some kind of comprehensive messages on specific topics which is sometimes a helpful thing to do, we think. Uh, but in expositional teaching, we go through entire books of the Bible from start to finish, seeking to expose or to draw out the original meaning that the author intended to communicate in their particular cultural and literary context. And uh, we believe that while topical teaching can be helpful from time to time, that expository, this expository form of teaching is the most, most healthy diet for a church, okay? So that's what we're going to, you know, throughout this year, we'll spend the majority of our time doing this kind of teaching. And this morning, we're beginning in the New Testament book of 1 John. And so just a few things that you're going to want to know uh, at the outset of this series through 1 John. 1 John is a beloved letter from the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John. And so uh, we'll likely be referencing John's Gospel a good bit in the midst of this series for support. Uh, John the Apostle should not be confused as John the Baptist. They are not the same person. And uh, for reasons, you know, reasons beyond his control, John the Baptist was never able to write any New Testament letters. Um, the main reason being uh, he was beheaded before he got a chance. So, uh, but anyway, 1 John is a beloved letter because there are some verses in 1 John that are just super formative and foundational to what we believe doctrinally as Christians. Uh, that said, you should also know many commentators have wrestled with 1 John and described it as winding and repetitive. Uh, so they've struggled mostly with uh, the structure of the book, but if we simply take it as it is, that shouldn't be a problem since we're not trying to, we're not trying to write a dissertation on it, okay? We're just seeking to understand what is said and to apply it to our lives. And uh, the last thing I'll say before we read the first few verses of the book is this. It's very helpful in Bible study all the time, but perhaps uh, particularly in a book like 1 John, if we understand the occasion for which it was written. That is, what circumstances prompted this author to write what he did to the people that he did in the time that he did. Okay? And when it comes to 1 John, the occasion is one that I think we will agree uh, is still quite relevant today. John, 
as we've said, was an apostle. That is, uh, when we say apostle, we mean he was uh, one of the 12 men who walked personally with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. John was also uh, a pastor, an elder, a shepherd, helping to give care and oversight to churches in the region uh, then of Asia and uh, here in the first century. And um, a, a dangerous problem had arisen and was threatening these churches in this vicinity of Asia, specifically um, Ephesus, where John resided prior to his persecution and exile. And the problem was there was a group of people who had previously been a part of these churches uh, that had developed some heretical beliefs and they had separated themselves But they were continuing to seek to have influence with those who were still members of the church in order to draw them away. Perhaps you've heard of this kind of thing happening still today, because it does. People sometimes leave churches on bad terms, and then they start a divisive campaign to take others with them. And so this is why... Many of the things that John says in this letter seem so clear and almost blunt and like he's comparing uh, what is true with what is false. It's because that is exactly what he is doing in order to preserve his people in the truth of the gospel and defend them from error that would not only take them out of fellowship from the churches he was overseeing, but that would ultimately take them out of fellowship with Christ. Okay, And uh, church, I take no delight in telling you that these dangers remain as real as ever. We have an enemy who not only wants to see gospel-centered churches divided, but who has instigated much doctrinal error in the world to lead people away from Jesus. And this enemy of our souls, the devil, um, he's not stupid. He's clever. Many of the errors out there propagated by false teachers are subtle, right? They're subtle. They're often combined with things that are true and right, like the kidnapper who lures children away from their parents with the promise of candy or a puppy, right? Because as scripture says, our enemy disguises himself as an angel of light. This is how he deceives, you see. He doesn't throw scripture out. He twists it. He doesn't throw the gospel out. He just makes some edits. He doesn't throw the church out. He just gets it sidetracked and focused on the wrong things so that ultimately it becomes ineffective. This is what John was battling in the writing of 1 John, and he does it not by talking negatively about his opponents directly, but by making the most important gospel things laser clear. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I I hope you are too. This morning we'll be uh, beginning with just the first four verses. So let's go ahead and let's read those together and then we'll uh, dive into a discussion here. 
1 John, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Thank you so much for another Lord's Day spent together because of his resurrection. God, that is why we're here. Because you tell us that though our sins are like scarlet... We can be washed white as snow via the gospel. The perfect life, atoning death, and hope-filled resurrection of your son, Jesus. And God, thank you for all of these families who are here now. Not because they just love to get up early on Sunday mornings or because they had nothing better to do or because they really wanted good things donuts. God, but because of the gospel. Because it's the best good news in the world. And now, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would just further confirm that message in our hearts and minds through these first few verses of this amazing letter to the church from the Apostle John. God, we praise you for your sovereign preservation of your written word, for the upbuilding, teaching, training, and correction of your church for our greatest joy and flourishing and for your greatest glory. My prayer, Lord, is that through the time we spend in this book together, that we would sink our roots even deeper into the gospel of Christ and that we would be further equipped to reject any counterfeit. Would you do this, God? I can't. I can't do this. So would you do this, God, by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, last Sunday, our community group had a party where we just hung out and we ate delicious tailgate food uh, while we watched the inevitable script unfold of Taylor Swift winning the Super Bowl. (laughs) Half kidding. Uh, And one of the... Best parts of the big game, as always, was the commercials, right? Uh, There were some funny ones, but there was one that you might be surprised that I have a bit of an issue with. It was paid for by a religious nonprofit known as He Gets Us. And the commercial, if you didn't see it, is just these kind of uh, AI-generated pictures of unexpected people washing other people's feet. Right? It's an older uh, blonde lady washing the feet of a girl outside of an abortion clinic. Another one of a lady 
washing the feet of someone who was very clearly an immigrant. Um, there was a, uh, an old uh, white Christian priest of some kind washing the feet of what appears to be a gay or transgender person. And then it says, at the end of this commercial, it says these words on the screen. It says, Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. He gets us, all of us. And I think with the images and the emotionally compelling music that was behind it, um, as a Christian, I'm just telling you how how I feel about it, um, you kind of want to like it. (laughs) It's during the Super Bowl, right? And it's about Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. And we love Jesus, amen? And so you want to like it. You want to be excited about the name of Jesus being proclaimed. But something about it just feels off, right? Well, the truth is, something about it is off. If you go to their website, I don't know if you've done this, maybe you have. If you go to their website, you'll find out their agenda is spelled out very clearly. They're like, hey, we have an agenda. Here it is, right? It's spelled out very clearly. It's not to tell people the gospel, And if you keep looking, you'll look for a long time trying to find a clear articulation of the gospel at all, because their explicitly stated agenda is to attempt to repair damage that they believe has been done by Christians to push people away from Jesus. Okay, not saying that hasn't been done. But if you peruse their site, they have a bunch of articles that seek to press in really to the humanity of of Christ, of Jesus, and uh, the love and compassion of Jesus. Though, if you you really dig, the way they um, portray love mainly uh, is like as just general kindness and of tolerance, um, basically just being a decent person, right? Um, And they even say... Explicitly, again, they even say that their objective is not to get people to go to church. It's just to have a cultural conversation about faith. And if you navigate on their site to the place where they connect you with someone, because they will do that, there's another religious nonprofit called Alpha that they will connect you with. It's a group, they'll connect you to meet with a group in your area apparently, to meet with that will basically, if you dig into what are the beliefs of Alpha, right, basically they'll, they'll, they'll begin to teach you a watered-down gospel with nothing about the biblical problem created by your sin before a holy God and the need for Jesus as Savior who absorbs the, the wrath of God on the cross that you deserved. That is penal substitutionary atonement, the heart of of the biblical gospel that is, in fact, the greatest display of God's love for man. And so, I don't glory in telling you this, but it is off. It's off. They're saying a lot about Jesus. Some of it's right. But there's some important stuff missing, too. And I bring this up because... In God's providence. This is what was happening in the context of 1 John as well, actually. 
There were some religious groups that were still wanting to use the name of Jesus and some of the teachings of Jesus while getting rid of the divinity of Jesus and all the words of Jesus, minimizing the words of Jesus. And he gets us. This is not a sermon about he gets us, but he gets us. seems to just be another modern rendition of this heretical problem of trying to flatten Jesus. To flatten Jesus. You see, this phrase, Jesus didn't teach hate. It's actually a problematic sentence, um, if you know your Bible, because it can be true or false depending on how you look at it. On one hand, it is true, please hear me, uh, Jesus did not teach hate of others based on their skin color or their gender or their socioeconomic status. But here's the problem with that sentence. Like, Jesus did actually say, and I quote, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26, if you want to look that up. You see, Jesus is not advocating a mean-spirited hatred of people for no reason. He's, what he's actually saying is, if you don't love him most, even more than your family, To the point of, if it were to come down to it, aligning with him over and above your family, then you don't really understand who he is, actually. Like, if your family desires for you to live in a way that dishonors or disregards a wholehearted commitment to Jesus as God, then disciples of Jesus will have to be willing to even be disowned by their own family for his namesake. And many have. So this commercial and the organization behind it is trying to advocate for one aspect of Jesus to the detriment of other aspects of Jesus. That's what I mean by flattening Jesus. Do you see what I mean? They want him to to fit in their box and to accomplish their mission. Which, oddly enough, is not his mission. And, you know, just to be clear, Jesus did wash feet. He did wash feet. He also flipped tables and yelled at people sometimes. I mean, he did. Jesus did eat with all kinds of sinful people. He did. He also boldly and with great love told those sinful people to stop sinning. And that if they didn't repent, that they would be separated forever from God in hell. Jesus said that. Jesus, to be clear, Jesus does get us, all of us. But while that is a comforting aspect of our Lord, 
his empathy. He came not primarily to get us, but for us to get him. Okay. So this, this is the problem. There's nuance to this, okay? If you have questions afterwards, I can answer those. I'll be happy to. But this is the problem. Presenting half of the real Jesus. Jesus is full of grace and truth. (laughs) Jesus is just. He's also the justifier. Jesus is merciful. He's also holy. Jesus is fully human. He's also fully God. Okay. When there are religious groups that get into presenting either or instead of both and, you get an unbiblical portrayal of Jesus. Okay. You see, Jesus does not need an editor or a producer or an agent or a marketing campaign in order to make him more palatable to the masses. He doesn't need those things. In fact, the apostle Peter tried. Do you remember that? In Luke 16, Jesus was telling his disciples about his impending arrest and trial that would end in his crucifixion and death. And Peter goes, whoa, 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 Lord, no. Two words that should never go together, Lord and no. Um, And Peter does it more than once. (laughs) He says, actually, to quote, far be it from you, Lord, In other words, you're not going to die, Jesus. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Followed by what was undoubtedly a very awkward silence. (laughs) You see, at that point, Peter still had his own ideas about who Jesus was. They weren't quite right just yet, and so Jesus firmly corrected him. Because Jesus is for Jesus. Jesus knows who Jesus is. (laughs) Jesus knows what the plan is for Jesus. He doesn't need our guidance our counsel on these things. He's not like a celebrity quarterback trying to make more money with an endorsement deal. He doesn't do subway commercials. And he doesn't appreciate our attempts to make him appear more tame than he is or like he's okay with our sin as though he's just like a more spiritual Big Lebowski, you know, who says of God's law, it's just like your opinion, man. Okay. What does all this have to do with 1 John 1? Well, this is why, this is why John launches off into this very detailed reminder that he actually knew 
and walked with Jesus personally during his earthly ministry. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This word of life that he experienced, that he wants us to know he experienced with all five senses, is Jesus. It's Jesus. He's saying, on one hand, he was from the beginning. That is, he's eternal. He's always been. And on the other hand, he was made manifest to us in his physical incarnation. In the beginning of John's gospel account, he says it this way. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then after Jesus' resurrection, listen to John's account in John chapter 20. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, skipping ahead. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Doubting Thomas, right? Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Missed one of you guys last time. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You see, these opponents who were trying to draw people away from John's churches were trying to say that Jesus was just a man who the Spirit of God helped mightily during his ministry, but then who died right? Like all men. And whose resurrection wasn't really a bodily resurrection, but that, you know, they're like, hey, like what you saw was just like a spiritual hologram, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, okay? They didn't say Obi-Wan Kenobi because that, well, maybe it was a long time ago and I don't know. But they're like, hey, it wasn't like physically, okay? So <laughs> stay on track here, Tad. All right, anyway. And, and you may think, right, you may think, like, why would they teach that? Why would they teach that? Like, what benefit would that have for them to teach that Jesus wasn't fully God and that his resurrection wasn't bodily? Like, why would they teach that? Well, if you want to process through it, it, it could go one of two ways, okay? It, it could go over into legalism, or it could go over into license, both of which 
totally unravel the goodness of the gospel. Okay? So, if Jesus was actually just a man who the Holy Spirit mightily helped and not God, okay, then on the legalism side, they could say, so, just like Jesus never sinned, so we never sin because we're just like Jesus now with the Holy Spirit. And then that would make salvation not about Jesus' perfection on our behalf, but about our own ability to attain perfection. The gospel of grace goes away, and it becomes a message of works-based righteousness, of being good enough on our own to attain eternal life with our own merit. But on the licentious side of things, they could say, well, you know, Jesus was just a man who God helped, right? But God doesn't really help us in the same special way that he helped Jesus. And so our flesh is just always going to be bad. And so it doesn't really matter how we live, right? We don't have to change because our flesh makes that impossible for us to ever really change. But that's no big deal because of grace. And so again, the redemption and the transformation of the gospel goes away. And you just have a bunch of unchanged people who live sinful lives just like the world and expect to escape judgment, right? So this is why John starts out by saying, I was with him. I saw him. Not like from afar, up close. We were tight. Best friends. We fist bumped. We hugged, right? And when he was resurrected, he showed us the holes in his hands from the nails and the hole in his side where he was pierced by the Roman soldier's spear. We ate with him post-resurrection. He's like, give me a fish sandwich. We watched him bite the fish sandwich and chew it up and it disappeared down into his stomach, right? He swallowed it. The point is this. There's a real objective, historical, and yet eternal Jesus who has made himself knowable through the Holy Spirit-inspired words of his apostles. Guys, it would be hard to overstate the importance of this truth. It's integral to our faith. There was and is a real Jesus. There's a real Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God in human form. He's the exact imprint of God's nature in whom the fullness of God was pleased to to dwell. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If you're a Christian, you have got to believe that. You've got to believe that. And you've got to understand its implications. My daughters have what seems like an astronomical number of barbies. 
Mermaid Barbie, Bicycle Barbie, Haircut Barbie, Painting Barbie, Gymnastics Barbie, Barbie in her Dream House, Barbie in her Jeep Wrangler, Barbie in her Speedboat, Barbie in her Camper. Barbie has a good job, apparently. <laughs> okay. White Barbie, Black Barbie, In Between Barbie, Adult Barbie, Child Barbie. Um, and before you're like, hey, Tad, um, no, I don't buy them. Okay, I don't buy them. They show up. <laughs> they show up at Christmas and birthdays, mostly from my mother-in-law, who I love and am so thankful for her generosity. I mean that. But who has nearly single-handedly equipped my daughters with every conceivable rendition of Barbie. Okay. <laughs> Friends, the world has tried to do the same thing with Jesus, okay? Hippie Jesus, businessman Jesus, tough guy macho Jesus, sensitive boyfriend Jesus, homeboy Jesus, buddy Jesus, conservative Jesus, liberal Jesus, genie in a bottle Jesus, okay? A different capitulation of Jesus for every person, so that everyone can have their own personal Jesus who they feel comfortable with and who they can accept, right? The problem with this is the Bible that tells us exactly who Jesus is objectively. Jesus entered into human history and he ordained for there to be a record of what he was like. And that was recorded by people who lived with him and walked with him for years. And even then, they would have messed that up, right? So the words about him were carried along by the Holy Spirit so they wouldn't make mistakes or forget important details. Hopefully I've labored sufficiently on this point. Jesus is who he is. And he wanted us to know who he is, which is why he had men like John get to know him and then write it down, right? But inevitably, sinful people are uncomfortable with the true and living God. And so they try to make a God in their own image. And John is saying, don't go for that. Don't go for that. Me and the other apostles will tell you who he is and what he's like. We will testify to the real Jesus and we'll proclaim him to you. Because if you get the wrong Jesus, a counterfeit Jesus, you'll miss the gospel. You'll miss eternal life. Because it can only come from the true Christ. Okay, He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he has made himself knowable through his word, his apostolic witness, the men who saw and touched and, and knew him. Christian apologist who's done extensive research into the history of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection says it this way, um, faith is only as good as the one in whom it's invested. 
It's Lee Strobel, right? So as we continue on in 1 John, we're going to increasingly see that John would agree. He wants to make sure Jesus' church gets the real Jesus. But as we continue on in our verses this morning, we see that John is not self-seeking here. He's not trying to uh, have a claim to fame, to just be known as the the guy who could brag about knowing the real Jesus. It's kind of crazy. He doesn't even put his name at the start of the letter. And in 2 John and 3 John, he he doesn't pull out his apostle card, um, which he would have had every right to do for the sake of showing his authority on these matters. But he just refers to himself as the elder. (laughs) You're an apostle too, John. (laughs) But anyway, so John is... An incredibly humble guy. And his motive here is to care for people. He says in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're wondering, okay, like, what's the deal with this fellowship thing, right? If it's about the gospel, why wouldn't he want to say, you know, so that you too can have salvation (laughs) or so that you too can have forgiveness or something like that? Why does he use the word fellowship? I think he uses the word fellowship because Jesus' message of eternal life is not merely a message of punishment avoided, but of fellowship with God and his covenant people restored. Right? Now, once again, as I said last week, um, there is a phenomenon that is sadly pretty common where people believe in Jesus as Savior, but that's it, just Savior. They believe he died for their sins, and now life just kind of goes on as usual with no change for us until Jesus returns and takes us to heaven instead of hell. But again, this is a flattened, biblically deficient Jesus that results in a gospel that misses some key elements. Okay? You see, Jesus came to solve a problem. He came to solve a problem. The problem was not simply that our sin was going to lead to spiritual death and eternal punishment. Okay? That's part of the problem. Okay? Um, but that's really just a side effect of the bigger problem, okay? There's a bigger picture. In the beginning, God made man to be his image bearers and to be like the crown of his creation with the purpose of loving him, living for him, and all that we did, and thus glorifying him. And sin fractured that, okay? It took us out of fellowship with God, and it made us into creatures who now go against their identity. Sin is choosing to live in our own way instead of God's way, thus seeking our own glory instead of his glory. And as a result, it leads to brokenness in our lives instead of joyful flourishing as God intended. So, when Jesus came, yes, he came to take on the punishment that we deserve for our sin and to be our savior, and praise God for that. But 
what Jesus saves us into is just as important as what he saves us out of. Because he does both. He saves us out of our sin, right? Out of judgment, right? That's true. But he saves us back into fellowship with God. Right, restored relationship with God as people who can now pursue the design and identity that we were given by God in the beginning. This is redemption, right? That's the word redemption. What was broken has now been healed and made gloriously new in Christ. For those who come to our membership class after service, we'll go through our vision documents that break down what we mean when we say we want to make disciples who, quote, believe the gospel. Okay. One aspect of that, as we've articulated it, is receiving Jesus for who he is. Lord, Savior, and King of God's kingdom. There's not a single facet. It's multifaceted. This is the full view of the historic Jesus. Yes, he is Savior who rescues us and justifies us by his blood. But now he is authoritative Lord who we obey and the good king of all creation who we will worship forever and eternal life to come alongside all of his covenant people. Those in our church, those who've been part of his true church throughout the generations and even back into the Old Testament before the church with those saints who live by faith. And John says, this is why I'm making such a big deal about proclaiming to you the real, objective, historic Jesus because I want you to have fellowship with him and us together. I want you to have that. And here's the third point that I think is logically deduced from all of this. Genuine fellowship with God requires relational intimacy and thus cannot be divorced from his single authoritative source of self-revelation. It's a lot of big words. Um, Let me say it plainly. You cannot know and have restored fellowship with Jesus in a saving way apart from his word. You can't know and have restored fellowship with Jesus in a saving way apart from his word. John goes on to say this explicitly in a few ways later in his letters to the church, but the clearest, I think, is in 2 John, verse 9, says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So he's not making some heavy burden or high hurdle to get over here. He's saying, if you want restored fellowship with God, If you want relational intimacy with Christ, where you can know him, not just as Savior, but as Lord and King and friend, you can, you can come 
Drink freely of the water of life without price. Come to Jesus. If you knock, he'll open. If you seek, you'll find. If you ask, you'll receive. But the way to do that is through his word. It's through his word. God's word is his self-revelation. It's his way of, of telling us all that we need to know about who he is and who we are and how to live in light of those realities. And so if we don't read it, how can we claim to know him for ourselves? If we don't read God's word, how can we claim to know God if we don't read his word? How's that possible? My son has a teacher right now who he really loves. And as far as I can tell, she does a really good job of engaging the students by telling them stories you know, from her life experiences and things, which is cool. But uh, I haven't actually met her myself. So how weird would it be if I walked up to her in the grocery store and was like, hey, Miss Threadgold, how are you? How's your husband, the Air Force? And how's your dog, Peaches? Etc. She'd be sketched out like, oh my gosh, someone please. Police, you know. <laughs> and then she'd probably be polite like, I'm, I'm sorry, do I know you? And even if I said, yeah, I'm Graham Anderson's dad. You know, I, I know you because Graham has just uh, told me some things about you. And she'd probably be kind, right? But still think that was a really odd interaction. Why? Because we don't actually know each other. <laughs> we don't actually know each other. <laughs> and Jesus has a category for this. In Luke 13, he says that there will be people who come to him in the judgment who are like, Lord, let us in. And he'll say, I'm sorry, who are you? And they'll say, we ate and drank in your presence. You, 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 you taught in our streets. And he'll say, depart from me. I don't know you. In other words, Lord, we, we attended the Hub City Church. We, 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 ate, we ate donuts that Sunday. We, we, we went to the, to the co-community group sometimes. He'll say, I'm sorry, that, that wasn't the way I said you could know me. I said to abide in me and to abide in my words by faith. Church, I love you. We, we love you. But if you only know Jesus secondhand from me, or Jason, or Matt, or Josh, some preacher on YouTube. That's not fellowship with Jesus. He has given us a single authoritative source of self-revelation. His word. And don't, don't give me this. I don't like to read stuff. Reading the Bible is not just reading 
It's the way that we can commune and fellowship with the living God. Some people might disagree with me on this, but I'm not telling you that you have to read any other book. But you better read this one. You better read this one. We're crying out loud. You can even listen to it now as you read. You don't even have to read it. Don't even look at it. Just listen to it. In the car, in the shower, I don't know, at work, on your lunch break. All the work has literally been done for you. It's on your iPhone. Every waking second of the day, we have no excuse. If we want genuine fellowship with the Father and with the Son, we can have it. That's the message. You want fellowship with Jesus, friend? You may have it today. Come, whoever will. But it's going to be through his word. It's going to be through his word. But finally, I can't leave off verse 4. John says, I'm proclaiming to you the real Jesus so that you can have fellowship with him and us and eternal life. But he also says, and we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's saying, okay, maybe there's a little bit of self-seeking for why I'm telling you this. (laughs) He says, my joy in Christ can't be complete unless I know that others are entering into it too. Is that good? Right? It's that good. From this, we learn what we see elsewhere in Scripture. Ultimate joy is found not only in having, but sharing grace-secured fellowship with others. John's really taking a page right out of Jesus' message when he says this, because Jesus himself says in John 15, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Again, the reality of the gospel is that it's much more than just escaping punishment. It's about fullness of joy. Jesus says, I made you, and I love you, and I want you to know me, and I want us to have a relationship where your joy is full, where you glorify me, where those things are one and the same. I want that. When we, become, when we become disciples of Christ, we take on the mind of Christ. And so we're not content to keep the amazing message of his grace to ourselves. Guys, this is why I'm in this pulpit today. Because ever since I first heard the incredible message of reconciliation with God, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the opportunity to know him and to live for him as we were created. I had to tell other people. I had to tell other people that. I couldn't keep it to myself. And now somehow, for reasons I still don't understand fully, he has called me to do that here almost every week of the year. And I love it, and it's so humbling. And I hope, just as John wanted the people that he was preaching to, to enter into the joy that he had in Christ, I hope you'll enter into mine. Not because of me. Not because of anything about me. But because Jesus and his gospel are so good. 
They're so good. Paul echoes this sentiment in 1 Thessalonians. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory, glory and joy. And then John says again in 3 John, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John was likely in his 80s when he wrote this, so please understand, I'm not saying you're like my children, that would be weird, but I do share his heart. I share his heart, as we all should, that there's no greater joy than seeing others, our kids, our spouses, our friends, our neighbors, enter into the joy that we have in Christ. And in verse 4, he says, that's why I'm writing this letter. <laughs> that's why I'm writing this letter to you. Because yes, I'm concerned about the destructive heresies that are being told to you. But at the bottom of my concern, I just want you to know and have fellowship and joy in the real Jesus. The real Jesus. So as we move on from here each week, I think we're going to see that's John's aim for us. That we might have the joy of abiding in fellowship with our Lord, Savior, God, King, and our very best friend, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God. That's all I got today. Father, I pray it's enough. I pray it was sufficient. God, your word is so good. It's the truth. It's a light to our feet. It's a lamp on our path, God. God, I pray that this church, the Hub City Church, God, we, I pray that we would never cross over into some kind of weird spiritual elitism where we think we're the best because we get it all right and we know better than everyone else. God, may it never be. But God, would we be serious about sound doctrine? Because that's how we know the real Jesus. He has ordained that we would know him that we would know who he really is, what he's really like, and thus to know what God, our Father, is really like. So Father, help us. Help us to, over the next however many weeks, a lot of weeks that we're going to be in First John, help us to get to know Jesus better. Help us to be abiding more deeply in Jesus and in his gospel. And help us to reject any counterfeit of this world more naturally, God. That there wouldn't be false gospels out there that are even a little bit compelling to us because we have the real gospel. We have the best news ever. We have Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.